Okay, our Bible reading today comes from Isaiah, uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through to um, 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali, but in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, with, uh, burning will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Well, um, in the lead up to Christmas, we're looking at a number of these predictions, uh, these prophecies of Christmas, uh, passages from the Old Testament from hundreds of years before Jesus came, passages that predicted Jesus coming. And we're looking today at this passage, this famous passage from Isaiah. Uh, as we look towards Christmas, we're thinking about this idea that there's uh, sort of a myth around Christmas. You know, you see it in advertising, in movies, on social media. Uh, there's sort of a myth around Christmas. An idea that Christmas is always, always fun and, and always magical and Christmas is always a great time with friends and family, and everything's always great at Christmas. Uh, of course, Christmas can be a really wonderful time, and, and I'm really excited about Christmas, and for lots of those reasons, it is uh, a great time of year. But if we're honest, the idea that Christmas is always fun, always easy, uh, just doesn't quite ring true. No matter, no matter what the advertising might tell us, you can't just put up some tinsel and put a Santa hat on and suddenly make all of life's problems magically disappear. And we might sometimes fall for this idea that uh, Christmas is this wonderful thing. You put all these expectations of on Christmas of it being this wonderful, perfect, magical time. Uh, and yet sometimes the reality of Christmas doesn't match up with those expectations. Uh, I don't know, lots of us probably would have seen these sorts of photos on the internet, uh, these expectation versus reality memes, they're called. Uh, this maybe is a bit more of an honest look at what sometimes Christmas looks like. Uh, I lived out this, this photo a couple of weeks ago, I cut down my own Christmas tree. Uh, you sort of imagine that perfect story, storybook kind of Christmas tree, you know, that's perfect and manicured, but in reality, uh, it can be a little bit of an ugly mess with some of the family uh, a little bit disappointed. Uh, there's lots of these. What about this one? Uh, you know, make some beautiful Christmas craft, craft for the kids, you know, maybe some very lovely, beautiful, classy reindeer, but maybe in reality, uh, not quite so classy as you imagined. Uh, 
But well, well, this one, um, this this one, I'll definitely look at as well. Let's take a super cute photo of the kids in front of the Christmas tree. Oh. <laughs> Uh, what about this, um, posting Christmas lunch, you know, expecting a beautiful family meal, but in reality, stressed out of your mind, someone calls you up, but they're running late, uh, all, all, all going on. Uh, we're looking forward to Christmas, uh, Christmas baking and that sort of stuff, but in reality, uh, what you forget about is the big pile of dishes, uh, or perhaps, um, you know, perhaps advertising might tell us to expect a beautiful family Christmas meal, uh, but the reality is maybe more of a Christmas lunch uh, filled with tension, arguments, and fighting. I think that's the same for a uh, movie of some sort. Uh, 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 last one's a little bit more serious, isn't it? Uh, this isn't just about the, the little things. For lots of us, there is another side to Christmas. It isn't necessarily so rosy. Uh, there are big things that make Christmas harder. Uh, we spoke about this last week, if you were with us, but it's sad because of those who aren't with us at Christmas time. When we're dealing with personal crises or health issues. And we're full of dread because of the stress of pulling everyone together and, and seeing people that are hard work at Christmas time. And yet, we do kind of like to buy into the myth of Christmas. We get into the magic and the wonder and the idea that Christmas is happy and, and make everything in the world feel right. I think that's because at a deep level, there is something about Christmas that we really really want. We want the world to be a joyful place. We long for our relationships to be perfect. We want that beautiful time full of wonder and beauty and advertising and movies and the myth of Christmas. It makes us think that we can kind of smile and put up some decorations and we'll have all those things. But what I want us to see this morning is that those traditions on their own, as good as they might be, at the best they're kind of just a distraction for a few days, maybe a few weeks. We kind of have an expectation and reality kind of problem. We put all these expectations onto Christmas, we put all these expectations onto these beautiful decorations and traditions. You know, Christmas has to be the time to celebrate and have fun and hope. Uh, but the reality is the world is just as broken on the 7th, 25th as it is any other year. And Christmas might distract us for a few days. Uh, but the truth is there, there isn't a lot of positivity and hope about the world for many people. I was looking at some of the stats this week. The Australian Institute of Health and Welfare did a survey this year. Uh, found that only 40% of Australians feel positive about their future, with 56 feeling uh, feeling negative about the future, 56%. That's obviously partly because of everything that's going on at the moment, COVID and other things too, you know, climate change and inequality and global tensions and all that sort of stuff. And you know, there are lots of news articles these days talking about you know, whether we can even see a major war in the next decade as well. You know, there's lots of uh, reasons to perhaps feel a bit more pessimistic about the way the world is going. We feel negative about our leaders. You know, I think only 45% of people think Scott Morrison is doing a good job. I think it's a lot less even for the uh, leader of the opposition. I mean, even just in the middle of a pandemic, right? We, you know, we don't really even know what Christmas is going to look like, or whether borders are going to be open, or uh, whether we're going to be able to see our friends and family in the way that we'd like to. And the Christmas myth, you know, the, the idea will say. You know, put up the decorations, celebrate, smile, you know, this is a time of magic and wonder, uh, get excited, and that resonates with us because we, we want to feel hope, we, we want to feel positive about things. Uh, the reality is we need something more, we need something with a bit more depth. And this morning what I want us to see from the Bible, it's not about criticising the Christmas traditions or, or any of that at all, or saying there's anything really wrong with any of that. 
But what I do want us to see is that the Christmas of the Bible does offer more. Offers more depth. The Christmas of the Bible provides more than just a distraction from the Bible. It provides more than just an empty promise of things being happy and okay. The Christmas of the Bible actually provides a real solution to the problems of the world. It actually provides a real reason for hope, a real reason to genuinely celebrate, a real reason to have optimism about the future. And we see this in the passage in Isaiah. It starts by showing us that the nation of Israel has reason for hope. It's a 2,700-year-old passage written to Israel. It starts by showing us that the nation of Israel has hope. And then it shows us that the hope of Israel is centered in the birth of a child and the coming of Jesus. And ultimately, it also gives us here, 2,700 years later, it gives us here reason for hope as we approach Christmas this year as well. That's how we're thinking to think about the passage this morning. Let me just get the outline on the screen. If you'd, if you'd like to, you can find this on the Sunday Hub as well. Uh, three points. Number one, hope for Israel. Number two, hope in a child. And number three, our hope for Christmas. The first of all, hope for Israel. Let's, um, let's have a look at our passage together. A little bit of context, as I said, we, uh, we are in a real time in history, 2,700 years ago in Israel. If you were here last week, we were kind of about the same time when Micah was uh, making prophecies, who we looked at last week. Uh, and this week we're reading the words of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is he's also speaking about similar things to Micah. He's been saying uh, that the Jewish people are in trouble. Uh, he's actually speaking directly now to the king uh, of the southern Israelite kingdom, Ahaz, and he's, he's been saying that, that the nation is in trouble. Assyria, Assyria is going to come and conquer the northern part of Israel and and the south is going to be destroyed too. Israel hasn't been faithful to God. They're going to be punished, conquered. War is coming. They're going to be taken off into exile. Uh, none of it is good news, which is exactly uh, what ends up happening, by the way. The Jews, the Jews are captured and they're taken away to Babylon. Uh, so it's not a good time in Israel's history. They're, they're facing military ruin in the sense of impending doom. There's, there's not a lot of positivity about the future. If you did that kind of survey about how things people are feeling, they're probably not going to be feeling all too good about, about their own futures. Uh, but this is where we get to the section that we've had read out for us this morning in chapter 9. And it's here that Isaiah gives some hope. This is what he says. He says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he has come to the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. Things are going to turn around. There's going to be ruin and humiliation. But in the future, these places that have been humbled, like Galilee, are going to be honoured. Interesting. How's that going to happen? Well, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those in living land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the thunder. There's, there's been a darkness, but light is coming. The nation of Israel is getting attacked and split up and getting smaller, but it's going to get bigger. You have enlarged the nation. God's going to expand his people. Lots of people think this is an interesting hint about the day when uh, God will start to bring people from outside the nation of Israel into his kingdom as well, people like, like uh, most of us. Verse 4. For as in the day of Lee's defeat, you have shattered the yoke of burdens of 
the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boots used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning will be pure for the fire. Again, there's been oppression, there's been uh, mistreatment, but soon there's going to be freedom, there's, going to, there's been war, there's been fighting. Well, soon there won't be any fighting, so much so that you, know, you can start to use the old warrior's boots for fire. That's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? No one no, no needs to even bother keeping the warriors here. They might as well burn it all up. It's all going to turn around. I guess war is going to come in, it's going to come, destruction is going to come, it is looking bleak. But what Isaiah is saying is the long term, long term, there is reason for optimism. There is reason to feel positive about the future. It's all going to come to an end. War is going to come to an end. Oppression is going to come to an end. The, the nation is going to grow and grow and grow and receive more now, but there is still hope for Israel's future, real life. And how's it all going to happen? What is the hope in? Well, it's our second point. The hope comes for a child. The end of war, the end of oppression, the end of Israel's time of darkness and pain. Lots of hope for the future. And how's it all going to come? You kind of don't expect it, but. It's going to come through the birth of a child. It's going to come through Christmas. It's going to come through the birth of Jesus. See this in verse 6, famous words. It's for, us, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Remember, he's, he's talking to a king when he's speaking, he's talking to King Ahaz. He's saying, Ah, this child here. Government's going to be on his shoulders. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the child that's going to come. This is where hope is centered. Jane pointed out the four names for us during the kids' talk. Let's just take a couple of minutes to think about these four names that Jesus has given. Now we're talking about genuine hope for the future, genuine hope. For those of us who are living in the broken world, notice how meaningful these names are uh, for those of us who are crying out for hope. Four names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Think about what each of those names mean. Uh, wonderful Counselor. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He's wise. He's compassionate. Isn't that wonderful news for those of us who feel the brokenness of the world around us and just need some support and some care? And he can cry us as a, as a great counselor. He's full of wisdom. And he's a mighty God. Yes, he comes with a little child in the manger, but he's strong and powerful. He has the strength to deal with the brokenness and evil. Amazing news for those of us who feel weak, for those of us who want to see change in the world. He has the strength and the power to do it. Third is the everlasting Father. It's nothing to do with Jesus replacing, you know, God the Father as the head member of the Trinity. What it's saying is that Jesus is like a caring Father, like a beautiful, perfect, caring Father who cares for his children. So he cares for his children forever, eternally, everlasting. This not amazing news for those of us who feel alone, or for those of us who don't have parents anymore, or maybe have had bad experiences with parents. A kind, a good, an everlasting Father who cares for us. And fourth, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Amazing news for those of us who feel 
the brokenness of relationships, who feel the pain of war and fighting all over the world. For those of us who realize that one of our greatest needs is not just peace with one another, but also peace with God Himself, forgiveness for our sin and restoration of our relationship. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You can see it already, can't you? How this mighty God can make a difference, can offer real hope for the future of the world. I wonder which one of one of these names resonates most for you with how you're feeling as you go into Christmas this year. And there's more good news in the last verse of our passage as well. Verse 7, it says, Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Jesus is going to come. He's going to rule. He's going to rule with justice, with righteousness, and his new kingdom will last forever. This is the promise of Jesus, the newborn king, one who will make the world eternally right, one who will put things right forever. This is so much more than any hope that this world can offer. We, we often hear these days about you know, what people think the world's going to be like in the future and you know, what the world's going to be like in 100 years, perhaps whether we can make enough changes to lessen the effects of climate change, whether we can stop you know, the sea level rises, you know, what the geopolitical situation of the world is going to be like in a century's time, what, what technology we can develop to make our lives better. You know, we talk a lot about leaving a, leaving a better place, leaving a better world for the people coming after us. Uh, it's a wonderful thing, and it's good to look after the environment, and it's good to uh, try and make this world as good as we can, and to look after others. But even in all those discussions, I feel like the elephant in the room is whether the world lasts a hundred years or ten thousand years, or even more. Well, it's still a world full of brokenness. It's still a world full of death. And sooner or later, there will eventually come a day when the sun goes dark and the human race can survive no more. But with Jesus, this is a new kind of kingdom. One where things are actually put right. One where things are actually how they're meant to be. A kingdom that will probably last, not just 10,000 years, but one that will last into eternity. And the happiness and the joy of Christmas, the, the traditions, the, the fun things we do to make a, make a great day of joy and friends and family, you know, that kind of myth of Christmas that's just a perfect day, well, we resonate with it. We love it. We love the magic. We love the wonder of Christmas. You know, this detail, we want this. We want the world to be put right. We want this eternal kingdom that Jesus, the child, brings. We want that kind of joy. Well, the great news is that the real Christmas, the Christmas of the Bible, well, it does offer what we think is most deeply desired. Christmas is the beginning of this new kingdom, a kingdom that we're invited to be a part of. Hope for Israel, now hope comes through this child, uh, finally being. If this is the Christmas of the Bible, if the Bible has real reason for real hope for the future of the world, well, what difference does that make? Uh, you and I are here and now. What does the differences make as we approach Christmas this year? What does it look like to have a Christmas that's shaped by this kind of hope? Well, let me just give you three suggestions about how this 
can make a difference for us this Christmas. Three ways I think we can apply what we've been talking about as we get closer to Christmas this year. I'm sure there are more than just these three two, but three things I could think we could do in response. The first one is I think we can engage without despairing. I think this is true. I think we can engage without despairing. I, I've talked today a little bit about the future of the world and uh, we might be positive or we might be more negative about how the world's going and optimistic or pessimistic. I've brought up things like you know, climate change and COVID and politics. And obviously, they're the sorts of things that different sorts of people have different opinions on. Uh, and some of these things can make us feel a little bit bleak about the future. I think the ultimate answer to these things is to trust in Jesus, as I've said, to trust in his kingdom, to look forward to his return, to his kingdom where things will be properly put right forever. Now, that's where we can have a real hope that will not let us down. Uh, but what this doesn't mean, of course, is that we don't go and say, oh, my hope's in Jesus, you know, so I don't have to care about this world. I don't have to care about COVID or climate change or politics or any of that sort of thing, because the beauty of having our hope in Jesus, of having our hope in his kingdom, is that it frees us to engage in the issues of this world. Without so much, without so much of that pressure and that despair and desperation, that I think you can freely engage in those things all while knowing that ultimately our future is secure in Jesus. But we can still engage with these really important issues. I feel what this means is that it's a wonderful thing for Christians to get involved in uh, the important things of the world, to represent Jesus, to advocate for justice and mercy. You know, he's, he's the wonderful counselor. His kingdom is the one of justice and righteousness. And those things are wonderful things to work for in the here and now. And we can care for the less fortunate. We can advocate for the rights of those who are mistreated. We can engage in the environmental issues uh, because ultimately the environmental issues are a way of caring for those who are in poorer parts of the world where they're going to be affected worse uh, as the environment changes. And it's wonderful to get involved in those things. But I do think uh, what we've looked at today does make a difference because I think we can engage in these important issues without despair. Because ultimately we believe that actually we have a real reason for security, a real reason for hope, for lasting and ultimate hope. And so we can work to make this world a better place. But at the same time, we can still sleep at night because we know that things will ultimately be okay. We can get involved in politics, but we can actually do it in a way that respects people and respects different opinions because this isn't absolutely everything to us. And because we follow the wonderful counsel of the Prince of Peace and we want to represent him well, we'll ultimately know that he's responsible for putting everything right. So we can trust in him and represent him well with compassion. And we care for others. That's the first one, we can engage without despairing. The second one, as we get close to Christmas this year, is we can celebrate with them. Now, as you know, I've said it already, I love the Christmas celebrations. I love the traditions and the fun of Christmas and you know, even the commercial side of things. I'm not, you know, I don't mind too much. Uh, and I want to be clear, I don't want you to go away today thinking that, oh, that kind of stuff's stupid or you know, that stuff's, thinks all that stuff's fake and we shouldn't get involved in all that sort of stuff. What I am saying is that all those traditions on their own, you know, the celebrations on their own, if that's what Christmas is all about, you know, if it's all about the lights and the trees and the presents and the food, well, uh, and, it, and it stops there, then really at its best, it's just something that distracts us from the harder part of life. If you, if you get into all those celebrations just for the sake of celebrating, and there's nothing underneath, then the question is, what are you doing celebrating? You know, are you celebrating pine trees? You know, 
fantastic palm trees? Are you celebrating lights or are you celebrating food or presents or celebrating the end of the year or celebrating family? You know, obviously some of those later ones are actually you know, pretty good things to celebrate. But I think there is something of a battle of Christmas time. And the battle is this, we need to keep looking beyond the decorations. We need to keep looking beyond the, the celebrations, beyond the traditions, beyond the consumerism. Go beyond all that and look to the reason underneath it all to celebrate. So the child, the child will bring hope for the world. The wonderful counsel, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the child who was born for us, the one who came into the world to save us, the one who has begun a new kingdom, the one who will one day return to put all things right things and rule over a perfect world for our Christmas is a time to celebrate. But celebrate not just for the sake of celebrating. Celebrate because in Jesus there is real hope for the world, real reason to know that he is going to be okay. And if you're the person who doesn't feel so positive about the future of the world, if that's what you would have answered on the survey, maybe that's because of the personal things that you're going through, or because you're still quite aware of the world problems, maybe you feel quite disillusioned by the state of the world. Well, I want to say this kind of Christmas is the kind of Christmas that's for you. Now, this is not a Christmas where we have to pretend for a few weeks that the world is a perfect place. This is not a Christmas where we put up the lights and you know, suddenly we pretend that you're happy and you're doing fine and you're feeling positive about the world. Because this is a Christmas where we can celebrate because we know that Jesus came into a broken world. Don't you pretend it's perfect? And if the Bible is true, then ultimately we can know that our deep desires for a better world, for evil and injustice to be dealt with, we can know that those deep desires for things to be better are pointing to something real and pointing to what Jesus will one day accomplish. So, celebrate. But as we celebrate, remember the reason for celebrating. People can pass what's on the surface to our reason for hope. Take time to reflect on them, to look to the child, to look to Jesus. Engage with that despairing. Celebrate the day. Direct our anticipation. Uh, one of the things about Christmas is that uh, it's about more than just the day, right? You know, there's this whole season where you sort of look forward to Christmas, isn't there? You know, we, we traditionally might talk about it as Advent. Uh, in modern times, it sort of starts when uh, the shops put out the Christmas decorations the day after the AFL Grand Final. Uh, there's all this anticipation towards Christmas. You know, we're kind of doing um, we're kind of doing Advent at the moment. We're looking to Christmas. We're thinking about it. We're anticipating. Uh, Christmas only two weeks away. And of course, Advent is still something lots of people do, and it's still quite a well known thing, uh, particularly with all the Advent calendars you see around the shops these days. I was uh, in the shops this week and I saw Advent calendars for chocolate, I saw Advent calendars with beer, I saw Advent calendars with toys, with tea, with coffee, with Lego. Uh, I saw a Harry Potter Advent calendar in the shop this week, I don't really know what that was all about, how that works. Um, I was actually I went to the service station this morning to pick up milk for church, and I saw an Advent calendar for dogs. Uh, so it's a bit late now, but if you have a dog, maybe think about that one for next year. Uh, it's not just about Christmas Day itself, though, is it? It's all about the anticipation. It's about looking to Christmas Day. I do think that's a really wonderful thing, because, and I do think Advent is actually something we should try and hold on to in the church. You know, we, we in the church, we have kind of social pride traditions to do every year, but I think Advent, the anticipation of Christmas, is a really important part of Christmas. Because... Really, well, first of all, it helps build our excitement and give us time to reflect on things like Jesus and the hope that he brings, but also 
It reminds us of a couple of things. It reminds us, back to Isaiah's day, it reminds us of that when Isaiah prophesied about the child that would come and put the world right. They had to anticipate, they had to anticipate that hope, and they had to wait. They had to wait for 700 years before Jesus finally came. Huh? A long time of anticipation. A long time of waiting. I'm sure plenty of times they thought it was never going to happen. We know that Jesus has come, and we can kind of take Christmas for granted, but they said anything. They were still waiting for it all that time. And it also reminds us of the situation we're in here today. It reminds us that although Jesus has come, he goes into his grave, he here, and he died to break the, break the power of sin, and he rose uh, to show us the hope that we have for eternal life. But here, in the year 2021, we are still waiting, aren't we? We look, we look back towards Christmas, but we also look forward towards Jesus coming again. We look forward, we anticipate the day when he will come once more to finally and once and for all put an end to evil. Now, Christmas is all about the anticipation still. It's, it's about anticipating December the 25th and that great day where we'll be able to celebrate together, celebrating the hope we have in Jesus. But it's also about anticipating that day when death and evil and war and fighting will one day be properly dealt with, when the world will once again be as it should be. So let me finish with this. This Christmas, let me encourage you this Christmas to direct your anticipation. And as you put up the Christmas lights, if you haven't done it already, and you're looking towards Christmas, ask yourself, are you ready for Jesus to come again? You know, as you put up the Christmas tree and you finish your decorations and you're looking for December the 25th, remember that we're also looking forward to that day when we see Jesus returning. As you go out and do your final Christmas shopping, remind yourself of the wonderful gifts that we'll have and the wonderful things we'll see when the world is finally one day put right. And as you celebrate with those you care about, remind yourself that because of Jesus you have a real reason to celebrate. And we have reason to hope that one day our relationships will be put perfect, be put right, in this coming eternal kingdom. Let's pray again. Dear Father, we thank you today for the part of your word that we've looked at. We thank you that you did not leave this world as it is, broken, full of pain, but you came into the world at Christmas time. You came as the wonderful counsellor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Came into the world and you felt the world's brokenness. And you felt the evil of the world and you took it unto yourself. And we thank you that in Jesus we are creating a new kingdom. All centered around him. A new king. Help us as we anticipate Christmas this year to anticipate this coming again. To look to his everlasting kingdom. We pray in his name. Amen. Uh-huh.